Welcome back to the Hustle Guide Podcast, episode 4. My name is Uktai and this is my show. Just a quick welcome to any new listeners we have out there. Uh, We're already four episodes in and with every single episode we're having more and more people coming through. So thank you so much for everybody who's coming back and listening to us and also to everybody who's new here. As I mentioned, my name is Uktai and I am the founder of the Hustle Guide. The Hustle Guide is basically about people who are enthusiastic about personal and professional development through my network of freelancers, artists, entrepreneurs, mentors. I want to help you become a better person, a better business leader, and even more financially educated and independent as well. So you can follow all of our work and all of these lessons here on these podcasts, but also on our Instagram channels. Check us out on Instagram. I try to post daily there. And also our DMs are quite open at the moment, so you can easily message us at any time. I love talking to people. I love meeting people. I love networking with people. So feel free to go on our Instagram and just send me a quick hello and let's have a chat. Enough about this. Now let's talk about the show. Today we have Sonia Barlow, diversity and inclusion coach, or extraordinaire, as I like to call it. We go quite deep into this conversation about freelance careers, making it big after quitting corporate world, and also why is DNI so important in today's world. Listen up, get a snack, and enjoy the episode. Are you happy to start? Yeah, very much. Let's just click, kick off and go. Well, I'm here with the very famous, for those who follow her on LinkedIn or follow anything basically on social media when it comes to startups, female empowerment, diversity, anything freelance, really, you will see this name. Welcome to Sonia Barlow. She is finally here with me. I think that's such a lovely introduction. I wouldn't say I'm famous. Um, I mean, brands still don't consider me an influencer and don't want to work with me yet. But it's cool to know that that is what my 2021 goal is. Oh, is it? Is that the one? Uh, Yeah. So I guess if we were to talk about social following, currently I've just hit 12K on LinkedIn, which is great because I actually started 2020 with like 2K. So I've I've grown like 10K in a year, which is amazing. Um, And I only started really delving into Instagram this year around April, March, when COVID basically hit. I'm not an Instagrammer and I find it super difficult Mm. but you know we're kind of ending the year on on what like three three and a half k which is strong so my point being to answer your question brands still consider the number of following versus engagement my engagement rates are really high but because I don't have the followers let's say on on Instagram you know they still don't want to work with you as a nano influencer even though you have a voice and like you say you haven't so I definitely think there's the the digital influencer market is broken and I don't like that in with marketers because I work in marketing is my full-time job and I see when I see brands who say oh we're not going to work with this person because of following you don't see other data you're not looking at the other data and then I see your engagement and it's better than somebody who has let's say a hundred thousand followers that's it it's like you see the balance see where it sits the numbers you can see that let's say you you would have much more engagement than another bigger influencer but that's a different topic no but it's an important (laughs) topic because substance over following I always uh, make the statement one of the first workshops I ever delivered was called chasing the likes because that's what we're all doing we're all chasing Mm. likes and now we're chasing the followers but my point being that you know I'm on three and a half k following great which which is still quite a lot but it's not 100k 
but I have the accolades and the achievements and the awards mm. and like you said you know the reputation but for many brands that's not that's not good enough um which is so weird to me because when I see it as somebody who's starting now and I see the accolades which we'll, we'll go in a second into that I've prepared my list of questions don't worry for me when I see it I was like oh this girl is going places but then a big brand sees it and corporate people see it and for them it's still not enough and it's like what is it even enough but we'll go in that in a second look Sonia how does one even go into because your main thing is very much about diversity and inclusion mm. how does one go professionally into diversity and inclusion consultancy I suppose you would even call it yeah such a great question um thank you (laughs) I wish I I wish I had more of an answer um (laughs) it's such a great question because there is no typical route so if I if I'm just comparing years on years I graduated in 2015 and I've worked in the world of technology since I always knew that I was being treated differently or things were a little bit unfair um and I, I definitely championed that flag internally but for businesses at that time it wasn't a priority mm-hmm. uh, and so I was always labeled the angry brown feminist who's no, just really her, <laughs> honestly who's just bringing her like feminist views and you know uh, I'd be in companies who would who would rather pay 10 grand for a sponsorship of a conference store than they would 10 grand to communities who want to embrace diverse talent. Fundamentally, two years ago, I started the LMF network because nothing more than a brunch club because I was just tired of having these internal conversations and not knowing how to progress. That club right now has converted into a brunch club that nobody actually wanted to attend for brunch. But we are a global social enterprise, not for profit. Um, Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, our business model is run by volunteers, kind of, you know, focused on enabling, educating, empowering marginalized communities and women globally to get into tech, digital and entrepreneurship, fundamentally as industries and as lifestyles, Mm -hmm. less as job titles themselves. And we've grown that organically to over 30,000 and following um, with our chapter in London our chapter in Toronto and now we've just opened our first university society in Canada and this all kind of grows grows to the point that that uh, and to answer the question that you're asking whilst I was creating that as a community and selfishly it was just to find my own friends I was then talking about diversity inclusion and community and importance of belonging before it was like a fad let's say so 2020 it's a fad right 2018 19 it was normal people just literally looking for that because that's something they lack. Um, and 2019, I kind of started the year um, in, in its own in its own sense, being like, right, I'm going to uh, think like a man. What that really meant is I'm going to strategically wing it. So anything I thought I could do 60% of, I said yes to. And anything I thought mm. I couldn't, I pass on to the network that I was trying to build. And mm. I had no network then because I had no social media before that. So 2015, 2018, I had absolutely no social media. And that's why, you know, at the beginning of the conversation, I said, I was terrible at Instagram because I didn't know how to use it. Wow, really? Even personal yeah. social media? Yeah, no, nothing. So oh I, 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 didn't, I don't do that. So the point to, to really, you know, summarize. So in 2019, I started saying yes to a lot more opportunities whilst working a full-time job. I started 2019 really kind of rattled up, um, fired up, passionate, ready to just explore the opportunities and at the same time to progress in this in this new line of work. Mm. I ended 20. 19 sorry so you know I started 2019 that way I ended 2019 basically with no job Um, why did you quit um I would say I didn't have much of a choice to quit okay what did you work in you said tech so I worked as a tech consultant so it was a mutual decision um kind of decided you know it wasn't the best fit but 
I also ended up on sick leave for five weeks. So I was um, very unwell based on the treatment that I had within a certain company in a certain workplace and industry. And it, it broke me. Mm. And so to, to answer your question, because we're getting to the answer is I woke up one day and I decided I'm not going to go back and work for corporate. I'm just going to see how I can do things myself. And I started designing and delivering the same workshops I was doing that year, but I was doing for free. I then started asking for a budget and commissioning. This was only a year ago. So in a year, I've gone from having unpaid work in diversity inclusion to running a consultancy myself. I have gone from thinking that the LMF brand was going to bring in my salary and converting into a charity and very much grasping every opportunity I can, as long as it aligns with my values, which fundamentally are to make sure that spaces are more diverse and inclusive, be that in the world of business as a business owner, be that in the world of business as an employee, Mm. or be that in the world of business as a community member or a brand advocate. Mm-hmm. So that is the umbrella that I that I kind of sit under. Of course, COVID hit and in March, you know, International Women's Day. For women, that's the month that you really get recognized. So I had so much lined up. I was like, yeah, completely and ready. Um, and ironically, the weekend that COVID hit in the UK was the weekend I was meant to be in Amsterdam delivering a workshop. So not only did my holiday get wiped out, but 75% of my income did. In April, I had nothing. In May, I had nothing. And then I just started feeling a bit less sorry for myself and started taking every opportunity I could to raise awareness, Mm. um, creating and curating content that was around five key themes, which I believe and I I very much um, advocate is your five key principles and and what you want to be known for, what you want to live by. I kind of started to navigate myself in a path within a circle and share relevant content that now has ended 2020 with all of these extra achievements, including Marie Claire's top 10 future shapers. I was top 50 under 50 BAME entrepreneurs this year, women in software change makers, you know, all these How do you see these awards? How do you see them? Because obviously they're coming in and they're coming in the year that was so challenging for you. And obviously you're going above the challenges. Mm. Are you like, heck yes, I did it. I did this. Is it like, oh, it's just another thing to add and build credibility at the moment? So, and I I love this question because um, I did a LinkedIn post a couple of weeks ago that awards don't necessarily have 100% truth to them. So we Mm. have to always remember this, okay? I have an award. I've worked very hard for it. But at the same time, I'm the one who's written my copyright and I've marketed myself and I've delivered it through, uh, you know, the portal that they ask you to nominate yourself or someone else has nominated me. So it's a difference. But but, you know, at the same time, businesses that have won, won awards these years, this year, actually, a lot of them are lying. The same Name company. Them. Tell them. <laughs> you know what? Like, I can't. No. no, no, I can't because I yeah. signed an NDA, not because I don't want to, but because legally I'm not allowed to. Of course. Um, if I was allowed to legally, <laughs> You're like... I would be. But my point being that, right, we have to we have to differentiate com- company awards versus community awards. So a company award is where a company is either paid to be a part of that award ceremony or they have had someone who is a marketing professional, copyright professional on a salary to jazz up their internal comms and to share it. The problem is the judges don't fact check as much as they can. Mm. And I know this because the company that I left that was super toxic and racist and discriminated me has just won two awards on diversity and inclusion, which I know fundamentally is not true. But to answer your question as an individual who is sharing and being showcased within these accolades, yes, it is about building credibility and building trust. 
right? Have these companies sent me a package to say, well done, you're a winner. Have they sent me a present or a prize? Absolutely not. Have they even sent me a certificate? No. They've just put my face on this title on a website, Mm -hmm. which you then can claim to, to, you know, to fame. So it's important to be recognized and to be established. But for those who are listening, even because you don't have an award doesn't mean you're not doing your best. It doesn't mean you're not succeeding. It doesn't mean it's not impactful. It just means it's a different style of uh, measuring success. And it goes Mm -hmm. to our influencing conversation because I don't have 100K followers doesn't mean I'm not doing well. Oh, absolutely. They don't have 100K followers, right? It's a different measure of success. And and that's how I want to end it. So yes, the, the award is beautiful and I'm very grateful, especially, you know, out of like thousands of nominations, you get voted top 10. Like that's a massive achievement. But right now at the age of 28, it is just to build my credibility. Mm-hmm. And fundamentally as a freelancer, as an entrepreneur, someone who is first year into, you know, basically funding her own salary, it's so that I can now put in, I can start putting price tags on things to say, well, I get it nine months ago, you could have had me for free, but well, now, now I want something because I need to pay my bills. Absolutely. So it's about you also knowing your self-worth. So how do you build credibility into something that, because you didn't do diversity or diversity before, you go into it because it's really about your personal values. How do you build credibility from the first moment you get into there? Because quickly, when did you start doing workshops? 2019? So my first workshop... Um, was actually in Jan 2019 and I was commissioned by Santander and by Royal Mail but when I say commissioned I wasn't paid Um, I was commissioned on the basis that they would pay for my lunch and my train ticket okay so just expenses they're paying your expenses exactly so expenses Um, and I didn't start charging for my DNI workshops which I designed delivered and very much kind of facilitated throughout 2019 until um, October 2019 Hmm. when I was commissioned by PwC and then in November ironically someone who had attended the Royal Mail workshop recommended me to King so King are the founders of Candy Crush and that was my first big client and so they flew me out to Berlin and they commissioned me they paid me and also worked with them since as well so Mm -hmm. so that was the first October and November 2019 was the first time I was really paid for my work And that's when I decided, hey, okay, if someone is going to pay me for my learnings and my authenticity and my attitude, can I make this into a real business? And fundamentally, that's what consultants do is they go find a problem and they strategically um, kind of deliver solutions that you can systematically uh, obtain and kind of attain within your business that you can thrive from. Let's say somebody commissions me today. Pays my expenses, gives me a sandwich to eat and have lunch, <laughs> and tells me deliver a workshop for free. And I go there for, for for the first time. I sit in front of all of these specialists, and I'm like, I'm a diversity specialist. How do you build that credibility? Because I don't say I'm a diversity specialist. Mm. You do. So what do you say? I'm a diversity coach. Okay. I'm a DNI coach. I'm a consultant. I'm an expert. I'm an expert because I have lived experiences. So to answer mm. your question. I share what I've lived and I've shared narratives of other people around me. I don't share anything I don't know. That's so interesting of way of personal branding, isn't it? So I'm a oh. DNI coach. I'm an mm-hmm. expert. Yes, I'm an expert in... At this point, I would say you're an woman. expert. No, no, 100%. I'm an expert in being a brown woman who mm. has faced, you know, biases in 3.5 workplaces that she's worked at and is constantly being challenged. Yes, but I'm not an expert in all things DNI. 
Mm. There, there's a difference. So if I say I'm a diversity and inclusion expert and you break it down, I'm like, yes, I'm an expert in these topics to answer your question because I've delivered X amount of them. I've received this feedback and this is the credibility that I've built. But if you are going into DNI from the get go and being like, well, I'm a DNI expert, but I have no credibility, no trust, no workshops, no feedback, no, no brands, no companies, uh, you know, no acknowledgement that you're not, then you're just someone who's like, you know, on a DNI rotational scheme trying to figure it out and see what suits you. <laughs> Do you get challenged now as a brown woman when you're out of corporate and obviously people are coming to you to ask for you? Do you still get challenged? Yeah, always. Really? Always. Um, simple things like in one of my workplaces, one of the reasons I'm so passionate about what I do, you know, and I can I can name and shame discrimination throughout, but one of the ones that really sticks out is someone got my name wrong for six weeks. My name is Sonia. Sonia. I understand that because my name is very different than anything they've heard in the UK. So I've heard a variation of it. I've heard mm. Octa, Octa, or like people have made it into three letters, although it's five. And it's like, <laughs> how do you even do that? So you can empathize, right? So and this so this is a problem. So my name is Sonia, as in it's mm -hmm. a universal name, right? It's not, it's not like a very exotic, you know, quote unquote exotic is, is the term that many people use. <laughs> So after six weeks of not necessarily having the confidence, I reached out to my senior stakeholder on Slack to be like, hey, FYI, my name is Sonia. It's spelled with a Y. Um, now clients are getting it wrong. Mm. Right. That's my name. That's my identity. Of and then HR come in. Uh, HR take me to the side. We heard that you were very aggressive via Slack when it came to your name. I was like, it's my name. How can you be aggressive? I'm trying to tell, correct someone. So, you know, to, to answer your question, I mean, I have lived experiences and the question you asked was, have you been challenged? Yeah. So I share that narrative now in workshops and people don't believe me. They're like, oh, no, but that couldn't happen. Oh, people yeah. are not that stupid. Yes, they are. Yeah. The problem is with diversity inclusion is people are that stupid. That, that's fundamentally it, right? Mm -hmm. Common sense tells you that there is a 50% quote unquote gender split in the world. Right. Just kind of we base it on the definitions that we have traditionally male and female. Right. Of course, we have far more spectrums and we should respect those spectrums. But is a male and female. So you're telling me that on a panel of five people, you can't find a female like you're not even representing the market. Mm -hmm. You're telling me that your business cannot find a woman to be in a certain area because you think the talent pool doesn't exist. But have you gone outside of your immediate circle? You're telling me that 50% of the world can't cater to your business needs. How is that true? How is that right? So diversity inclusion is, is common sense that we're having to go back and teach businesses. Common sense, including if you don't know someone's name, please ask them how to pronounce it. Like mm. it's not difficult, right? Yeah. If someone's hair is different, please don't go and touch their hair. If you... And these are things you have to teach people. It sounds silly. Like, I know these things as well because I've yeah. decided to educate myself with time. Exactly. But people don't know it a lot of times. And when you're fresh into the working environment, you're like, what? How, how did that just happen? Or, you know, it's these bizarre little... What I learned this year with when people started saying microaggressions, I've, I have never heard about a microaggression yeah. before. If anything, 2020 has taught me is there is a lot of people have. I'm a DNI coach, but one thing I don't say is I don't say I'm perfect at all. Mm -hmm. So any DNI coach that sits there being like, we know everything, we're we're top. No, you're not, because everyone has their own biases. I come from a South Asian heritage. 
we have so much anti-blackness that it wasn't really until this year that I had to go and unlearn a lot of it myself because you had situations where you had to question your own thinking and then you had to be in family situations or friend situations where somebody was saying something different and you're like, wait, no, I don't agree with you and I don't know if we are on the same wavelength. Simple, simple thing. I went to the Cass Business School, right? Oh, look at you. Um, yeah so okay never mind like the topic of privilege is another topic we can definitely definitely hit on so the Cass Business School fundamentally is it was named after Sir John Cass who turned out to be one of the biggest slave traders now they made a decision which I agreed with that they were going to change the school's name because they wanted to be more inclusive and ensure that people that came felt like they belonged but I had to then educate friends and family as to why that was a big deal because Mm -hmm. what they cared about was well, the brand name's gone. They were like, imagine, you know, Oxford is no longer Oxford. What would we tell people? They're like, Cass is no longer Cass. You know, uh, in some industries, Cass is so powerful that you literally have an entry. It's an entry point to industries, especially yeah. in finance, tech and business. So the point I'm trying to make is, you know, when you are focused on diversity and inclusion, the first thing you have to do as somebody who wants to enter that field or that industry is need to learn about yourself. And you need to educate yourself. You need to unlearn a lot about yourself. The second Mm -hmm. is you need to ensure that you are sharing that message in your immediate circle. What is the point of me going and educating a company of 10, 20 people when I can't even go to my own grandparents and my own family members to say, well, actually, we shouldn't try and make uh, brown girls lighter Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't talk about darker girls being less beautiful. Like that's a stupid narrative because it's a narrative that exists in a lot of Asian households generally. And the third is no one is born a DNI champ. You you learn and you deliver and you console and you become this person. But what I do think is at the same time, the number of diversity inclusion um, job roles has has ever increased, right? I think the stats Absolutely. are stupid. Like, uh, you know, I think somewhere I read like 130%. Like that's a stupid stat. Do you get annoyed by it, by the way? Do you feel like, oh my God, this is now becoming a real trend? Mm, so that's a, it's a great question. I do get annoyed. A lot of companies are still hiring or commissioning people who don't have the DNI experience. And by that, I mean, I'm very vocal about it. You know, asking a middle-aged white man to come and give a workshop on diversity inclusion probably isn't the best route. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm still losing out to that quite often. Um, whereas they don't have the lived experience that those do who come from kind of, uh, you know, intersectional. Yeah, logically. yeah, yeah. The second one is that companies who have diversity inclusion roles are still going out to a talent pool that isn't diversity inclusive themselves and then asking you to go to a seven round interview. So in September, I had five of the top companies in the UK approach me mm-hmm. for diversity and inclusion roles. I was like, very interested. Great. Send me more. I asked about a salary. They were like, oh, we don't really know the budget yet. Okay, fine. The second, I was like, how many interview rounds are there? They're like, well, there's five interview rounds plus a three-hour presentation. I was like, well, I'm not doing that because one, I don't have the time. Two, this is my livelihood. And three, Ridiculous. I'm not going to come give you a three-hour presentation so you can chop and screw it the way you want. And then don't even give me feedback or anything to commission upon. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, the practices that companies are going down are still not diverse and inclusive. And the third and the most important thing is the talent pool does exist. I hate the excuse the talent pool doesn't exist. You're telling me that if it doesn't exist in, you know, the borough of London, that it doesn't exist in in the virtual world. Like we've literally broken 
borders. You know, if you can't find that brown woman that you want in tech in London, maybe you can in Lahore. Why are you not looking outwards? Do you think it's laziness? I think it's ignorance. I think it's laziness. I think it's a lack of education. And the fundamental problem I have right now is I, I, you know, run a DNI consultancy, but also I run a global not-for-profit social enterprise. We have a talent pool. We have over 30K in our database. We are across the world. But because we don't have a big name, companies don't want to sponsor, don't want to donate, they don't want to partner. And, you know, the cheek of it is what if we don't need to give you the monetary payment, you can use our brand name. And that's still what you know the the leverages and it's like well we don't want that anymore i don't care about your brand name yeah. we are a generation of ethics and values and sustainable practices and you know future thinking what is a brand name if yeah. anything 2020 has taught us is that brand names can come and go like debenhams has gone off the high street That's i a so brand agree name. i so agree with this because i feel the same way with award shows when anything like the grammys and the oscars haven't done anything to do with diversity for more than a hundred years at this point. And all of a sudden, one year now, after there was been so much discussion, they finally have, let's say, five people of color nominated. And all of a sudden we're like, we're growing. It's amazing. And it's like, why are we clapping for the Oscars for doing the bare minimum where they could have done it a long time ago? They're not the standard of of success. And they're not pushing it. 100% I say this and I always say like I'm not going to give brownie points of credit to someone for getting gender diversity I wouldn't even say right I'd say growing um I wasn't a judge for a competition last year and um a lot of companies were pushing through their award nominations being like well we've increased gender diversity by two percent by five percent I was like I I'm not going to give you brownie points for that that is what you should just be just be doing how is it in 2020 that we're still on gender, like we've progressed as people, mm-hmm. right? But gender is where we start. Like, what about other intersectionalities? What about social mobility? What about education? What about the fact that 2020 shown us that technology poverty exists? Like you're expecting everyone to jump online, uh, schools to go online, you know, workplaces to go online. And yet uh, people don't have laptops, access to the internet or even places to work from. Mm-hmm. And yet we're still stuck on gender. Like, come on. And they expect us to clap. Yeah. And that's expect us to clap like, you know, as I mentioned, gender and, and the thing is, it's not even just male and female anymore. There's so mm. many spectrum and intersectionalities. Mm-hmm. We haven't even covered those bases. And for me, that just that defeats the purpose of growth. So I am I am very grateful and I appreciate that businesses are more woke now. They're, they're awakened and they understand that there is an importance to it. Mm. But what I do want everyone who's listening to be very mindful of is we as consumers have the ultimate power, right? The reason businesses are still a business, Mm -hmm. the reason that they are still living and breathing and working is because we as consumers are feeding them. So we need to be very cautious on who we're feeding, who who we're funding, who we're investing into and who we're associated with. Mm -hmm. Because if we change our spending behavior and our habits, then businesses will have to change what they're doing. Not to go far from, obviously we're discussing all of these things, but not to go far, you've, you have achieved a good amount of success in the past one year. What do you think was your, like a very pivotal moment in, in the past one year that was maybe your big breakthrough? So I would have to say that, as I mentioned, um, March, I lost basically 75% of my income, right? Mm-hmm. April and May, I had nothing. There's a couple of things. One is, I lost faith in myself for a moment. And I think many of us did around April, May, like I kind of just stayed in bed and 
I was very upset and I was like, wow, what have, what, what have I done? Like, what if I stayed in the company and what if I got a job, I'd be in a different position. And also I fell into that gray area. So I didn't receive any funding from the government because I hadn't been self-employed long enough and mm. I was in a payroll before that, et cetera, et cetera. So the first thing that really changed is I had to shift my mindset from victim to, to kind of like, how am I going to use my voice mm. um, and kind of, you know, build that narrative around my value so I went from like victim to like value-led it wasn't hey the world has hit me and done this to me it was right the world's done this to everyone who do I want to be known for at the end of it and that wasn't me that's not me saying everyone has to be productive during this period that was fundamentally me as an individual to be like how am I going to make this work for what I want Mm -hmm. in the end the life I want to live right so it was that two I have to give a big, big, big like thank you to to two sets of people. One is the LMF team and the LMF network. We're run by volunteers. But what we have to say is our advisory board, our volunteers, they've really ramped up and they really supported us. Like without them, we wouldn't be here. But if I was to name people, I'd say two people that really helped me during this period is Abadesi and Deborah. But Abadesi runs Hustle Crew and Deborah runs YSYS. And they really both inspired me and reached out to me and we've become really good friends since but most importantly they've become like informal mentors so you know guiding me on practices helping me to understand how I can better my business and my understanding but also to your point commissioning with me and giving me the confidence that I can do DNI work and take it forward and the last thing I'd say is I've really ramped up my content online so before at the beginning of the year I'm not the best at social media I was just I was just sharing things for the sake of it and it didn't really have a reason or reputation or it wasn't building any value it wasn't adding any value I took a step back and realized right what are the as I said what are the five things I want to be known for and I share this in every workshop I do I say you know you want to be known for maximum five things and that's what I post about on LinkedIn or on Twitter or on Instagram and that's where my following went up so Instagram I had absolutely no following at the beginning of the year because I didn't use it I don't really know. I didn't use the platform. It was just there in the background. And now it's grown significantly to the point where it's really helped my my brand presence. But most importantly, it's LinkedIn, where I've been able to connect with people in similar or same industries, where I've been able to share topics on, you know, fundamentally five areas. So be that entrepreneurship and business, diversity and inclusion, community building, mental health, um, definitely is is another one and then fundamentally kind of how to stay productive with soft skills during this time Mm -hmm. so those are kind of the five that I share on LinkedIn and so I've come to the end of the year and people have started recognizing me as a thought leader or a voice in that area and so the people that follow me want to hear about these things so personal branding is quite important personal branding is so important and I talk about it I share it can I just say it's very quickly because I just started to realize as well me like I said starting to grow my feet into something Mm. I thought I knew myself very well because I love personal reflection I used Mm. to study business they used to make us personally reflect on anything we did Mm. and that and that was great but when you start doing your own thing into the world and presenting yourself in front of people you need to really sit down and figure out who are you as a person and what are you presenting? What are you standing in front of? Because or else you're just going to be so confused of what even is your product. If you want to call whatever you do a product, you wouldn't know what you're going to do. And that's one of the reasons why I'm writing this book is because, you know, fundamentally your, your brand is your business. So we're talking about freelancers and creatives and people who get commissions or consultants. Mm. You are your business. If your brand isn't creditable, if you're not trustworthy, if people don't know who you are, why would they pick you? Why would they hire you when now the world is literally attainable? 
right? It's a click away. So I always ask, and for anyone listening, you know, ask yourself, why am I sharing this? What value is it adding? And what is the purpose, right? Those three simple questions. And I find it really hard sometimes to post because I'm like, I'm not really adding any value and I just don't want to be online. And that's completely okay. There is no, I, I think people, especially during this time, and I don't know why, put a lot of pressure on themselves. You don't mm-hmm. have to be online all the time. You don't always have to be alert. You know, you just just be yourself, whoever yourself is. Yeah. And the point is, if you are true to yourself and you have that self-awareness and you are authentic, the opportunities that are meant for you will, will come your way because you'll be um, you'll be more confident in saying no to the things that don't serve your purpose. Uh, I wanted to ask you, because obviously we're talking about a bit online and your network and how you you found some mentors through that. Can you find opportunities with anyone, really? One of the titles of one of my workshops, like your network is your net worth, hmm. right? It's a chapter in my book, too. Fundamentally, you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with. Mm-hmm. If you're surrounding yourself with toxic people, which I once did, you're going to get toxic opportunities. You're going to feel crap at your, about yourself, which I once did. So you have to change your circle. And I definitely recommend being around people that are smarter than you and that you're learning from mm-hmm. all the time. Because then it pushes you in an area that you don't necessarily know. And you are probably teaching them something too. But to answer your question, you don't know who's looking at what you're sharing. And that's why having a consistent brand narrative or knowing the reason why you're posting is so important. Because someone may be seeing something you're posting and in that moment may not be able to offer you a conversation or a commission. But if they recognize what you are doing and what you are known for, your name, your sentiment may come up in conversation and it'll come back to you. You know, we spoke about it. The workshop that was delivered for King, like they're a massive client. I was able to be recommended. And though I still had to go through a bid process, I was recommended by someone who saw me nine months ago. Right. But that just means they saw me nine months ago and they saw me credit. uh, They saw me consistently build something. And it built trust that I was able to deliver what was necessary. So just because today you're not getting it, it doesn't mean the results won't show up. It will just take some time. It's the same analogy that when you go to the gym, if you go one time and you think you're going to, you know, achieve your goals, it's not true. You need at least six, six to 12 weeks for you to see changes consistently. So at the same, with the same respect, you need six to 12 weeks of consistent sharing, posting, brand building, advocacy, connections, connectivity networks. For you to see what opportunities can arise at the back of it. You you studied, I presume, something in the realm of business. Did you understand all of this before you even went freelance, or did you have to learn with time? Yeah, so studying business at uni was uh, a waste of forty grand. Okay. Not because my university wasn't great, mm-hmm. because it was, but because the content was outdated. There's that's that's the only reason. Um, to answer your question, no, I didn't know any about this. I studied business, but a lot of the business that I guess I studied at university was, you know, examples of like HR and management and like the typical functions considering at that point, traditionally, you know, if you're a business owner, you're like finance business owner. That's not true. I'm a business owner. I am my own PA, marketing assistant, content curator, hype person, uh, financial controller, financial spender even. Mm. You know, I I am my own, uh, you know, workshop designer and, and kind of, you know, at this point, I, I'm even pretending to be my own agent. Someone oh, else. Did, did you do that? I have started it. Oh, yes. my God. T- tell me more about that. Did, yeah, I know okay. I have started it. And um, 
Am I exposing you right now? <laughs> Sony actually doesn't have an agent. <laughs> <laughs> the reason is I, I would love an agent, but right now I am not signed to one. I guess when I started my brand last year and I kind of set up a domain and an email address, it was only one email mm-hmm. address. But now that email address itself is overloaded. Like I get like, you know, 30 emails a day. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult. And so I also want to start differentiating between bookings and actual gigs to just conversations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, from 2021, I'm going to start charging for people who want to pick my brain because it's great you want to pick my brain, but it costs a lot of money in terms of time and resources. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, people were putting like half an hour. I had a phone call just this morning. I had a half an hour conversation booked in. And the conversation was, you know, Sonia, how can you help us build our podcast exposure? Mm. I'm thinking you ha- you don't you haven't done any research on me like you don't even know who <laughs> as as in like you're asking me to introduce myself and what I do and if I'm the right person for you whereas so you just waste my time because, you could have done you know, something for that half an hour you could have earned money with time you start to realize that that half an hour is valuable a lot yeah so I give free 15 minute introduction calls more than happy but anything after that, it's your time because the problem is, and we go back to the DNI topic, right? When you are delivering and designing conversations around diversity, around inclusion, you're also growing, going into a lot of your own trauma. Hmm. So, you know, I can sit here and laugh and be like, haha, someone got name, my name wrong for six weeks. Actually, when that was happening, I was in tears every day. Hmm. And actually, at the end of that experience and other experiences, I ended up on sick leave for five weeks, not able to talk with a very concerned family. So, I have to talk about my trauma every day and I have to go through it and then help you as an individual to make sure that you are not putting someone else through that and help you to learn and educate you on what steps you should be taking to be more inclusive and and to bring, uh, you know, equity at the forefront. But after a point, that really takes a toll on you emotionally and mentally. Like I end the day drained. If I've been on a two-hour virtual workshop, you are talking nonstop and and helping people to go through their own experiences so they can undercover where they have their their own biases and where they need to fix themselves Mm -hmm. right it's like some form of therapy that you didn't necessarily think you were getting into me charging for my time is not because i'm trying to be um you know i'm sonia greedy Mm -hmm. yeah i know but actually you have to also realize that i run a network which is 100 free by myself with volunteers you know in 2020 alone we have delivered and designed over 50 free webinars and workshops upskilled over 5000 people for free not charged a single penny self funded this for 2 years out of my own pocket and are asking for favors from people and and people do have the cheek of it being like oh you want to build diverse and inclusive environments but you're charging i'm like yeah i do but i also run a whole network and a whole charity for it's a free business and it's a business so it's you can business. go and direct yourself there mm. and learn more and go through it from an accessible means but fundamentally you have to start valuing your time and that's why there is a gender pay gap and a disparity pay gap because you know as a as a woman of of color as a brown woman as a south asian woman as as a woman fundamentally or someone who identifies as a woman if i'm talking about these topics and i'm not charging and i'm not building up my day rate then we're never going to fix the gender diversity gap because actually most men in my position after a certain period of time they're going to ask for a fee why are we different and then when we do ask for a fee then it's all but you're a woman you're empathetic you're meant to try and make the world better like you're not doing it for the right reasons well no because there's only so much that I can do for free until I don't have food on the table 
And that's what I went through in March, April and May. Like I'm very, very, very privileged, very, very grateful and privileged that I have a family that look after me and a great partner. Mm -hmm. Right. But if I didn't, I, I would have had no, I had no income. I had no yeah. food. in yeah. Oh, I, I, Zero. I, hate, I hate that so much. And I understand the concept of starting from somewhere, especially when you're starting by yourself, that you will need to do something for free especially to go back to building that credibility that we discussed. And sometimes you do stuff for free because people cannot afford to pay even a five-pound ticket. And I do a lot of that, 100%. Yeah, yeah. but um, when it comes to companies and when it comes to salary, it, when you're working in a big company, sometimes good job just does not cut it. Where I come from, we always say, thank you does not put food on the table. Money does. No, but at the same time, right, if I give you an analogy, and we're talking about diversity and inclusion here. If I'm delivering a two-hour workshop, that isn't just two hours of work. That is three days of prep work, designing time, survey building. I was going to ask you, how, how's your process of work? Uh, so I do a survey beforehand. I have like two or three introduction calls with the client. I take them through the resources. I make sure they're on board. Um, you know, we have emails beforehand, the workshop delivery, a follow-up and a follow-up call. So that's the whole time. Mm. Right. So imagine you had to go into your workplace for a day and they didn't pay you. They didn't give you time in lieu. I don't think anybody would be OK with that, regardless no. of where you work. Mm -hmm. And the cheek of it is that companies pledge diversity and inclusion. But if you don't have the fundamental funds to put behind it, then you're not valuing the work we're doing and, the, and, and you're just ticking the box. Mm -hmm. And there are people out there that would do it for free. You know, once upon a time, I did something for free. So I don't deny that. But we have to get better at creating an ecosystem that is fair and representative for everyone. Because I don't want to lose out on a gig because I have a fee because the next person doesn't. Right. I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's for fair on me or, or, or on them. And I think businesses need to understand that, you know, the cheek of asking someone to do a diversity inclusion workshop because you want to be more diverse and inclusive, but you're not able to fund them. But at the same time, if someone said, hey, let's go out to like drinks, you're like, oh, yeah, we can fund 300 people. That's what annoys me as someone yeah. who doesn't drink and as someone who, you know, doesn't necessarily never wanted to go to those social events your you know your your time and your your education is worth something and that's the point that we're trying to make you know as dni consultants coaches experts like our time is worth something because every day we're having to live through our own trauma every day we're having to educate you you wouldn't ask a teacher a butcher a freelance creative you wouldn't yeah, ask yeah. a ceo to come for free mm. so if i'm a ceo of my own business what makes you think i will and, and I have done so. We, we spoke about the first few workshops. I got a free, you know, free prep and, and a train ticket. But that's also because I was working alongside or doing that alongside a job that actually gave me a salary. Yes. So I could afford to. Yes. Now you can't that's afford to. No, no, that's a big thing. Let's go to the book because I'm very curious about the book. Tell me more about what is the book about? Uh, when is it coming out? The book comes out October 2021. Um, I've just finished writing around half of it, the first draft, so that's quite good. Mm -hmm. uh, so fundamentally, the book is about how you can become your own business, your own boss, and build your own brand. Um, and the so very on brand for you. Very on brand. Yeah. But this is why it's because these conversations I was having earlier in the year, and and people were like, you know, okay, Sonia, how have you built this? I'm like, I don't really know I'm, I'm like methodologically being a bit mad kind of you know reaching out to people seeing where I can get commissioned I jumped on um, and this is why it's really important to share what you want to do in your life I jumped on a webinar that someone commissioned me for for LinkedIn masterclass and we were just randomly talking 
and I was like you know one of my life's goals is to write a book uh, and she was like I won't name her because I don't know if she wants to be named but mm-hmm. uh, she fundamentally was like oh I, I have someone who's in publishing maybe you can have a conversation Brilliant. and that was it it was nothing more than a conversation I spoke to you know the, the lady now that is my editor and we had a conversation I spoke about the idea and the premise of the book is especially during 2020 a lot of people want to run their side hustle or start a business but when you go online and when you go through other books and this goes back to that point we made about business school mm-hmm. the topics are outdated mm-hmm. right the I, I loved I loved going to university but do I think my degree added value no because a lot of the topics were outdated because they were about what happened in the past not what's happening today in the future so technology is the future digital is the future how can you build a business of Instagram and, and LinkedIn that is the future and at the same time I was tired of hearing stories that were like oh well I've started my first business, but my dad gave me a loan and my mom gave me um, the the conversational and the, and the charm. Well, actually, what about the rest of us whose parents don't come from wealth mm-hmm. and whose parents have hustled and grinded their whole life? And now what do we do? So the book will be a 12 chapter book on, you know, kind of starting from you've got a business idea all the way to we're going to make sure your business works. So you follow through as if it's a workbook and you put it down and you pick it back up when you need to, to know the next step. It's oh. not a book you read in one go. I don't like books that you read in one go. I don't understand them mm-hmm. because, you know, motivational nonfiction books, you need to you need to digest them and then come back to them. Yeah. So that's what I want. And each chapter is going to have a different entrepreneurial story. So not an entrepreneur that's, you know, kind of fame and, and fortune, but an entrepreneur who is hustling, who is providing, who is accomplishing Oh, can you give she, a name? She, he, or them. Yeah, so like Deborah from YSYS is a okay. case study, mm-hmm. right? Um, uh, David from Tech Talks is a case study. How did you reach these people? Did you just go and ask? Yeah, so that's a great question. I mean, some people I'm very fortunate are in my ecosystem. So I was able to like reach out and say, would you like to get involved? Mm-hmm. Some people, I have to say um, COVID-19 has been great for networking for me. I have met more people than I've ever met online and some of them become really good friends. But most importantly, you know, I don't, I didn't want myself to be biased. So these stories aren't just my friends. These are people that have actually made a significant change. Yeah. Um, I think that's really important to know is it's not a book about my friends. It's a book about someone who has done something different. So, you know, we have Nadia Dashti who started her recruitment firm and she she's killing it. We have Davina Poor who went into investment and is killing it. Are they are they million billionaires? I don't know. I, I don't know. I've never asked. And it doesn't really, they really need, don't need to be. And it, they don't need to be. They just yeah. need to be normal people that have taken their, their definition of success and started their own business now. They're living their own life. Yeah. You know, there's tons more. So There'll be about um, 12 to 20 different inter- interviews. Everyone from, you know, TV stars and, and those in media to podcast hosts to, I don't know, YouTubers, for example. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's very diverse. And that's the mix because the problem is a lot of business books out there don't have the diversity, at least I'm looking for. And that's why DNI is fundamental to everything I do. And it's a foundation. But you still have to make sure that you don't come with your own biases. You know, with books, it's I have tons of friends who are messaging me being like, can we, can we be in it? And it's not that I don't want you to be in it, but it's you have to look at the bigger picture. It's not a friendship book. It's a collective of stories of people that have succeeded and actually worked. And so mm. for you to deem yourself successful, you need at least three, four years of running your business. Because 90% of startups fail in the first five years. We're trying to show stories of startups that have, have started from something organic. And that's where the best business goes. 
but I've still been able to grow and succeed in some way. But I've been around for at least three or four years so that they have a story and they have a lot of things that have gone wrong. Not just a, I have an idea, today I started a podcast, tomorrow I'm not consistent and then it, and then it breaks because in 10 years that book won't be relevant if the stories aren't relevant and the people aren't relevant. Can I just go back quickly to the thing and you don't need to answer me much, but did you literally get book signed from that workshop you did and somebody basically sent you to a particular someone who was an editor and that's how you got signed to get a book? So it's a little bit more complicated than that, but fundamentally, yes, the power of networking connections yeah. is so important. That's why your network is your net worth because they can big bring you new opportunities. So I had a conversation with the editor. Um, I then had to write a synopsis and contextually put down all my ideas on a thought and build like a business case. Mm. And then, you know, pitch myself basically. Yeah. Um, but because at, by that point, I was far more clear in my idea and my concept. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful that I, in the last 18 months, I've been able to build a network. So I know what kind of conversations are happening within the ecosystem and mm-hmm. what trends may come forward in business and brand and diversity and inclusion that I was able to find that niche. And, you know, from a place of publishing, it takes you, uh, you know, I, I have, I have what, five months to write, write like 60,000 words, which is a lot of words and in a very little time. Yeah. But then it takes nine months for the publisher to actually take it through their house any book has probably like an 18 lead uh, 18 month lead time between the point of contract to the point of it coming out yeah are you going on tour after that book signing tour I mean I would love to I'm already thinking you know of all the headshots and the and the outfits <laughs> um, and all the different lipstick colors that I'm gonna have like me wearing a different shade of lipstick is very on brand how is so, it yeah yeah it's it's like a thing now I literally randomly get dms from people being like don't forget to take your red <laughs> like these these are the kind of messages I get I mean I am waiting for a lipstick brand to to, to you She's know popped. invest in me if somehow I'm ready if so, yeah if somehow from the universe somebody from a lipstick brand is listening contact us well honestly con- Sonia honestly. not me but contact us <laughs> all I care about right now but to answer your question I think it really depends on COVID and the tears, but more importantly, what, you know, what the world of books looks like, what publishing looks like next year. We don't know. Obviously bookstores haven't had the same amount of book sales, but eBooks have risen. And so are podcasts. So I'd love to go on some kind of book tour. And if, you know, I I will try and make that happen. Um, But it also depends on what is viable. We don't know where we're going to be this time next year. Absolutely. I'm going to ask you this final question, which, by the way, I don't really like this question. I just thought about it. I was like, why am I asking her this question? They used to ask us this in business school all the time, and I hated it. But, Sonia, where do you see yourself in a couple of years? Um, do you know Who what? Sonia from the future? There's a couple of things. I really want to um, be a radio presenter. Mm. That is... <laughs> That is my 2021. That's um, random all of a sudden. <laughs> it's kind of random and it's kind of not. Okay. Like I, I have a voice. I have opinions. Mm. I contextually would like to share that. The reason I want to go into radio is because you read a wide, uh, reach a wider market. But I don't want to do like new music. That That's not my forte. I mean like a, a diverse voice about business, about tech, about innovation, about, you know, D&I. 
Um, but eventually, kind of Sonia in the future would love her own talk show. So yeah. that's why Sonia in the next few years would like a radio show. But what I fundamentally would want is someone to believe in me enough to give me mm. a, a seat at the table mm. um, to build that narrative and to share in a wider, uh, within a wider network. Um, and also, you know, representation is really important. But what I also do believe in is that you shouldn't wait for people to give you these opportunities is you should try and create them in, in some shape or form so that you have some substances. So you have the credibility and trust in what you're doing and then take it outwards. You know, no one's going to give me a podcast. No one's going to give me a radio show. No one's going to give me a talk show. I have to prove that I am um, able to articulate my comments and, you know, patient and, and able to edit and produce, but at the same time that I've learned the fundamentals and the foundations before I'm given that responsibility. You have to always remember what is your differentiator, what makes you you, mm. stick to that, tone into that USP, and that's what's going to drive you forward. Oh, I had my Oprah moment. I love <laughs> to say it. This was beautiful. And I think we should finish right here on a very high note. Sonia, thank you so much for joining me. This was a huge, huge pleasure. And I learned quite a lot myself as somebody who's looking to, like I'm saying, build my way and grow my feet and start walking in the into this industry. Where can we find you? And yeah, is there it's... anything that we should sign up soon to? Where can we see you? Any workshops? Anything? In January, I'm going to start launching... Um bi-weekly workshops so one's going to be on linkedin masterclass and personal branding another's going to be on imposter syndrome and confidence um and the third is going to be managing difficult conversations so they're going to be in rotation i've already done them for the last year with general assembly and so now i'm also going to independently run them uh, alongside that i have tons of cool things coming up next year which i uh, can't announce yet just based on i just sign a lot of ndas that makes it even more exciting, by the way. Mm. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really it's really cool. Uh, but fundamentally, you can find me in everything I do on at Sonia Barlow UK. That's on Twitter and on LinkedIn and on Instagram. Uh, LinkedIn, if you just type in Sonia Barlow, I'm the first one that comes up on Google anyway. So you can Google search me and all my every everything will come up. I mean, you know, top tip, Google search yourself every month. I do it every month. I know what comes up and I just want to make sure that I am the the first and only Sonia Barlow that comes up. So that's quite good. And you can follow the LMF network at LMF network across all social channels. We have a global mentorship scheme launching next year. Again, for our program that's sponsored by Stripe, KTN and Charity Learning Consortium. We have so many workshops that we are ready to deliver programs that we're growing um, and sharing out with. But most importantly, 2021 is all about social mobility supporting people to become their best selves and not taking no for an answer Sonia you're the perfect example of 2020 being a nice year in a, in a weird way <laughs> of being yeah, a, you just... know it's what you make of it oh my god thank you so much for coming and I know you have a very very busy schedule so thank you so much for joining me and thank we're finally meeting and thank you everybody for listening this episode of the Hustle Guide podcast was executively produced by Oktay Asanov and powered by our clubbers CIC.